Well, welcome everyone. Merry Christmas. It's exciting to be here. It's exciting to be speaking. This is my 15th year of being a minister and doing Christmases. So you can imagine, you think to yourself, how many things has he got to say about Christmas? How many talks can you do? I don't do the same talk every year, just recycling because you know, it's different. So here we go. Um, We're going to be looking at uh, the birth of Jesus, the same story again, Matthew chapter one. And so I'm going to pray now and ask God to help us understand what the story is all about. So let me pray. Father God, it's a blessing to spend time together to celebrate Christmas, uh, even in the midst of difficulty. Uh, Father, we pray you just be with us now as we look at this story, this old story, which we've heard so many times, uh, draw out its significance for us now here today. Help us know the truth about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you receive an invite to a wedding, uh, or it might be a birthday party. And it says on the card, on the little invite, your presence is your present. Your presence is your, just turn up and that is your gift to us. Now, do you bring a present? <laughs> of course you do. You don't. No, I'm, I, some of you might, so I'm not giving you a hard time if you are one of those people. But most people don't turn up to the party and say, all right, I'm here. The gift is here. They, they just don't. You still take a present to it. Because it, you feel like it's not enough for your presence to be your present. It's not enough for your presence to be your present. This morning, I want to suggest the same is true with God. The same is true with God and Christmas. That I want to suggest today that Christmas is actually not enough. Christmas is not enough. In the passage we just read, we heard the nativity story. You've heard it before. Uh, it's the, the account of this Jewish teenage girl who who gets pregnant uh, and then in ancient Israel, and then she has a baby in a stable. Now, one of the puzzling bits about the story, and I don't know if you noticed as we went through it, is Jesus isn't given one name, he's he's given two names. And it's not that he had a first name and a second name. Uh, It's not that he was Jesus Emmanuel, uh, son of Joseph. No, it it just says he has two names because these names have significance because these names tell you about who he is and what he has come to do. And so the first that's mentioned, uh, it's actually the second that's mentioned, we're going to start with that one first, is verse 22. It says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what Matthew here, Matthew's the writer of this gospel, this account of Jesus' life, He's going back and he's saying 800 years ago, there was this ancient prophecy that was said that in the future, a virgin would have a child and that would be the sign that this child is the God with us child, that that child would be named Emmanuel, literally means God with us. Now, one of the unique teachings of the Bible, actually the Christian faith, is that God is not just one divine person up in the sky, like on the Simpsons, with a big beard and just looking down, uh, but that God is one, there's one God, and that one God is made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So God within himself, in a sense, is, is like a community. It's one, uni, one, one being, but three persons. Now, Matthew and the followers of Jesus here and every, actually every, every Christian since then believed that Jesus was God the Son become man. Jesus was God the Son become man. And so Christians have called it the incarnation. And, and so as Christians, we come to Christmas 
and we celebrate that God came down and was with us. That God's presence was his present. God's presence was his present. And, and, and oh, you just got to stop at that. And you think that's actually quite an extraordinary thought in itself. That if you were in a coffee shop back then and Jesus walked in and, and to get a coffee, you would have been looking at God become man. As he sipped his coffee, you would have looked at him and think, that's how God become man, sips his coffee. So that's an extraordinary thought in itself. But I want to suggest to you this morning that if that's all Christian faith is about, then it's not enough. And it's not enough. Christmas is not enough. See, there's no doubt there are times when you go through really hard times, like some of us, like some of you this morning, uh, some of you on Zoom might be going through right now, that there is something wonderful about a person coming to be present with us. I've sat with people as a pastor, I've sat with people going through some of the more difficult times in their life. I've sat with people after they've just received a terminal diagnosis. I've sat with people as they've just found out that their spouse is going to leave them. I've sat with people who have lost jobs, have had to declare bankruptcy, have burned out. People have sat with me as I went through burnout, as I've gone through periods of grief in my life. And I know, and you know, that when we are in that place, it's true that a person's presence with us is a gift. It is a gift, isn't it? To have someone with us. And, and, and it is even more true of God. As a pastor, the gift that I give to people when I come and be present with them myself is to not only be present with them myself, but to remind them that God is with them. That God entered into the world in that stable as a baby and he did it to declare that he is with his people. God is with you. Christmas is the celebration that God has entered into the brokenness of our world, that he might be present with us. That, that's a good thing. I want to celebrate that. But at the same time, I want to suggest it's not enough. It's not enough. God with us is not enough. Christmas is not enough. We need more than his presence. We need his salvation. We need his salvation. See, there's two names given to, to, uh, to Jesus, Emmanuel. And the second one, verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God saves us. God saves us. And see, as much as we want people to be present with us in the midst of struggle, how much more do we want to be saved from struggle, delivered from struggle? Whether whether you've had struggles with mental health or with grief or with losing someone or loss of a job. It's, pre it's really wonderful to have someone with us in that moment, someone present with us. But how much more do we want to be saved from it? How much more do we want to be delivered from it, to be set free of it? So that instinct that we have, that presence is good, that salvation is better, 
that instinct that we have as human, that's a good instinct. That's a right instinct. You know, when a person is on the side of a cliff, struggling for life, if someone dropped down from the helicopter and sat on the rock with them, that's comforting, all right? It's comforting to know that person is there with you. But ultimately, you, the person is there to deliver you. That desire for deliverance we have as human beings is a right desire. It's the reason why it controls every story, myth, and superhero story. You know, I'm watching Star Wars at the moment with my daughter, just watching through all the movies, one to nine. And it's this idea of, of salvation, of, of being redeemed, of saving, of saving this person, saving that person, saving a princess and saving Darth Vader. And so, see, it's, it's the fabric of all human narratives, this idea of salvation, because as humans, we desire it so much. The problem is, the Bible says, we don't know what we need saving from. We don't know what we need saving from. Or more accurately, we want salvation from the symptoms rather than the virus. We want salvation from the symptoms rather than the virus. It says it right there in this passage. It says, he will save his people from what? Their sins. Now, I need to explain what sin is there for a moment because a lot of people, I say sin, you think this, that's the thing that, for a lot of people, sin is isolated acts or kind of mistakes sometimes of doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, breaking a few rules. Now, the Bible says, yes, that's sin. All right, on the video, she talks about that being sin. She gave that definition for children. But at its heart, sin is not, they're just the symptoms of sin. But sin at its heart is actually a virus. It's a virus that plagues every single human being. Sin at its heart is an unconscious. That is, you don't have to think about it to do it. It is unconscious instinct that wants to reject God, that wants to ignore God, that wants to, like, give him the silent treatment, whatever, to consistently think within yourself, I'm the God of my own life. I run my own life. I don't need him. I can run my own life. You don't have to think to do it. When you wake up in the morning, your heart is kind of bent that way. It's a virus that we all have. And so whether you have good morals or bad morals, whether you had great parents or you had parents who screwed you up, whether you have a sensitive conscience or a hardened one, whether you're in a society that's kind of governed by Christian rules or in an Islamic society, we all have, this, the Bible says, we all have the sin virus. And, and by very definition, the problem with the virus, as we've seen with Corona, you, you can't see it. You can't see the virus inside you, but you can see the symptoms. You can see the symptoms. People proudly pushing others down to assert themselves in their godness, people hiding from each other and blaming other people for their imperfections because it takes away from their godness. Pride, dishonesty, racism, abuse, fraud, hatred. They're all the symptoms of the sin virus that every single human being has. And so, yes, we need to be saved. But not just from the symptoms. We need eradication of the sin virus. It needs to be removed. 
Our biggest problem as human beings is not our health or our wealth or COVID-19. It's not even our relationships with each other or our education. Our biggest problem, the Bible says, is our relationship with God, is this virus we have that infects our relationship with God that sets us as his enemies apart from him. And so what we needed was more that God coming down and being with us. We needed God to be for us. We need more than the God of Christmas. We need the God of Easter as well. And so Philippians 2 is a classic part of the Bible that talks about what Jesus came to do as a human being. It says, Philippians 2 verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who was in the form of God, chose to, he was God the Son, he became man, it says here, to die on a cross, to, as he died, as he was hung on the cross, take upon himself the virus of our sin so that he received God the Father's punishment for that so that we would not. He took our place. That through trust in Jesus, our souls might be truly healed. That we might be saved and restored to a right relationship with our creator, the one who made us. See, we don't just need a God who's with us. We need a God who has come to save us. If this morning you have not put your trust in Jesus, whether you're on Zoom, whether you're here with us this morning, then I need you to hear this. Christmas is not enough. Christmas is not enough. God with us is not enough. You need God to save you. You need God to save you. You need to say to him, God, save me from the virus of sin. At 20 years of age, I did, up, until the, up until I was 20 years old, I had no idea I had the virus. No idea. I was walking around thinking, life's cool. I've got this under control. But I had a virus that was killing me. And so at 20 years old, God revealed to me who Jesus was and I cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, take away this sin virus. Thank you for what you did in the cross for me. And so this morning, if that's something that you feel like God is calling you to do, then I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer. It's a pretty simple prayer. But it's basically saying to God, God, thank you for sending your son into the world. Thank you that he's taken my sin virus, that I might be restored to a relationship with you. Help me to live in a right relationship with you. Heal my soul. If that's something you feel like you would like to pray this morning, then please join with me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world to get sick with our sin that we might be healed. Help us to keep trusting Jesus and live more like him each day. Amen.
Well, if you've connected with God this morning, if you felt like for the first time God's actually spoken to you in a a unique way that you really haven't experienced before, and that happens, it happened to me, please let us know. And don't go away and think, this is something I've just got to work out for myself. Uh, The reason churches exist is that Christians need each other to figure out this whole God thing, to figure out what it looks like. So if you came with someone this morning, let them know. Come and see me and have a chat to me. I'd love to chat with you outside after. You, if you prayed that prayer this morning, you have started a new relationship with God. And let me promise you, let me say to you, it's going to change your life. Thanks for listening.